Okay, good morning. Good to be with you uh, here today. Um, the liturgical color for the day is red, I mean white. It's an inside joke if you're a football fan. If not, that's okay. The Lord still loves you. Okay, let's get started. The Lord be with you. O God, in the glorious transfiguration of your beloved Son, you confirm the mysteries of the faith by the testimony of Moses and Elijah. In the voice that came from the bright cloud, you wonderfully foreshowed our adoption by grace. Mercifully make us co-heirs with the King in his glory and bring us to the fullness of our inheritance in heaven. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We are still studying the Saving Truth Doctrine for Lay People by Kurt Marquardt. We're on page 115. If you've got the print edition, if it's the Kindle one, this is uh, towards the back of chapter 7, and that's uh, where we'll pick up today. Before we jump into the text, uh, some of you have emailed or pulled me aside and had some excellent questions uh, regarding the Lord's Supper, specifically the benefits of the Lord's Supper. Uh, so uh, we talked a little bit last week, and uh, Professor Marquardt uh, has given us some information on as well. The Lord's Supper is, is not just for your soul, it's also for your body. And so that's why at the end of the uh, distribution, you will hear the dismissal, and the dismissal simply goes, and now may the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ strengthen and preserve you in your spirit, your soul, it's body and soul, body and soul into life everlasting. Now, do we, can we put our finger on how the body and blood of our Lord specifically helps us physically? Does it promise to keep you from ever getting cancer? Does it, it, it promise to get rid of the warts on your feet or anywhere else? And the answer is no, okay? Uh, the Lord says that it is uh, strength. It is power, it is the, the divine, it is God's glory. And so we don't have all the answers per se to exactly how that works. We simply eat and drink and trust that the Lord works through means to preserve us body and soul, right? And so he's at work through that. He also gives us doctors. Many of you, many of us take uh, vitamins, take medication on a regular basis, have to watch blood pressure, have had surgeries. The Lord works through means, Okay, uh, to help and preserve us. So, um, but uh, faith simply sees where God promises to give gifts and says, I want those. And that's what we're going to pick up here today in Marquardt's book. Before we do, there's a great little book uh, by Reverend Kenneth Weeding, W-I-E-T-I-N-G, and it's called The Blessings of Weekly Communion. And he originally did this as his, I can't remember if it was his Doctor of Ministry project I think it might have been, don't quote me on that. Um, and so he and his congregation, uh, you know, were kind of typical, uh, you know, 20th century Missouri Synod. Communion was always first and third. And he started studying scripture and the confessions and found out that, uh, hey, uh, the Lord's Supper, Acts chapter 2, was every Lord's Day for the early church. Luther spent three years uh, at, at Wittenberg uh, getting the church there to have communion every Sunday. Why the big deal and why in America has the Lord's Supper become less important than it was historically? And so as he studied that, uh, he ended up doing all the research and presenting it to his congregation. And they said, yeah, we need that. We like that. We want that. 
Um, and so, but he's got a section here where he talks about the treasures and the gifts of it from Scripture, uh, has some great Scripture and confessions. So if you're still working through any questions or concerns on that, this would be a good little book uh, for you to review and read as well. Uh, and as always, we as your pastors are here to help you with that. Okay, any outstanding questions that we didn't cover after last week that we need to address before we dive into our text? Nothing. You're all good. You're nodding your heads and you're ready to dive. Here we go. Elsewhere. Elsewhere, Luther reminds us of a vital truth so often neglected. If you find that the words and the sign of the sacrament are softening your heart, and moving you to be kind to your enemy, to receive your neighbor, and to help him bear his distress and sorrow, all is well. If this is not the result of your partaking of the sacrament, you cannot be certain that you have profited from the sacrament. Even if you were to partake of it a hundred times a day, with the greatest of devotion, and were overwhelmed with tears of joy. Such wondrous devotion, which carries on in this manner, counts for nothing with God. It is also very dangerous because it is, because it is so completely self-centered and misleading. What's Luther getting at here in this quote? What's he warning us against in regards to the sacrament of the altar? Yeah, Neil. Yeah, enthusiasm, exactly. And so if you read our Lutheran confessions, especially when you get into the, the formula, um, uh, the, uh, <laughs> both the epitome and the solid declaration, um, you know, enthusiasm is this, is this kind of theology of glory, right? It, it's the, the, the emotionalism, it's, it's by what we do uh, that, that is now not only offered up to God, but God sees our, our piety, he sees our reverence, and, and, and he rewards us. Okay. Now, a theologian of the cross, and Luther spells this out in, his, uh, in the Heidelberg, uh, is simply that who clings to the words of Jesus. So his body and blood, this is my body, okay? this is my blood given for you to eat and drink, a promise of forgiveness of sins, okay? promise of, uh, of life, promise of the divine early service people. You can connect the dots, late service people, wait for it. Uh, literally the glory of God that is now given and manifest, manifested for us. And that's exactly what we poor sinners receive, re, uh, we need. Okay? The challenge, of course, is when we attach too much of our own uh, feelings uh, and, and such with that. It, it doesn't mean that it's, it's wrong for you to, to feel good, right? Uh, it doesn't mean that it's wrong for you to, to have some joy and exuberance and, 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 and singing and praising. It just means that be careful with even your outward expressions because faith simply trusts in the word. It's very objective, not subjective. Okay? Any other, anybody else want to add anything before we go on here to what Marquardt has to say? Great as our own need is, the Lord's goodness is greater still. And let's look at Romans 5 verse 20 real quick. We can put that up on the screen. The accent, Marquardt writes, must fall on the latter more than the former. So we always want to focus on the Lord's uh, goodness, on what he is promising. We can never prize and honor enough the treasures to which he so urgently invites us in this feast. Romans 5 verse 20, let's uh, read it together. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. 
But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Keep going. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when we study scripture, we ask the where's Waldo question, right? Jesus places his hand on a stack of the scrolls uh, there in a synagogue and says, these, these scriptures testify to me, right? And of course, the Jews want to want to kill him for that. They want to stone him um, because he's he's claiming that this is this is all about him. How self-centered of this guy, right? Uh, but it, it it's it is all about Jesus. He is the the son born of woman, born under the law. He is the one now that has come to crush the head of the serpent. Okay, and to do this. And now the next question is, where does this? Divine Savior, divine majesty, where does this, this, this day star, <laughs> right, this light that is shining, where does he now cl- come, even still today, to be with you, okay? And this is why, as we've learned, many Christian denominations get this wrong, okay? They would confess with us of Christ's ascension uh, into heaven and sitting at the right hand, but they would say, there he is, <laughs> but here's you. Now, you need to erect a ladder to get up to him, and you're going to do it by your own works, and because God gives you that, or you're going to fall into the Roman Catholic hole that grace is just power and strength for you to build this ladder, you know, to be your, you know, your best self now, and to do, you know, you've got the, 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 the power and the good, so start building it, and then you can attain to the divine, okay, but that's not it at all, <laughs> Because if you truly understand not only original sin, but the condition of all of humanity, then you see this same Lord and Savior breaking into this sinful realm through word and sacraments. Okay, um, And so where Jesus promises to be, you get all of him. So in the absolution, you know, as, as the, uh, you know, and then the pastors speak publicly these words, I forgive you, this is Jesus forgiving you. Okay, um, I mean, that's why we read the gospel from the middle. Right now with divine service setting three, and we'll move over to one here. We kind of rotate through those services uh, throughout the year. Uh, but in divine service three, again, the Lord's Prayer. The pastor hasn't stolen the Lord's Prayer from you. That's Jesus teaching you how to pray. You see that? Jesus is teaching you, giving you his Lord's Prayer. It's complete gospel. It's complete gift. Why? So that you now have these words, this prayer for when? the rest of your week. You see that? Uh, for you to pray. We had men's steak night this last week. Thanks to all the guys that uh, worked so hard behind the scenes and, and uh, had a great turnout for that. And, uh, um, and uh, one of the things that, that I, I like to do and have done in the past is uh, Luther's mealtime prayers from the catechism, right? Uh, it's a section, unless you've kind of done that in your house, that, that kind of gets lost. So Luther has these before mealtime prayers. There's actually three of them. They are to be taken all together, and so we did as men. We did the before-meal prayers, and we did the after-meal prayers. Um, and I was surprised nobody asked me, because what does Luther actually encourage you to pray before every meal and after every meal? Men that were here, yeah, the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer. And I remember teaching this probably about a decade ago, and I had a, a wonderful, very, very pious, very Christian woman. She'd been a Sunday school teacher for 40, 50 years. Uh, wonderful gal. And she comes up after I had done Bible class or I had it in the sermon, Pastor, I think Luther was wrong. Okay. 
I mean, Luther's been wrong on different things before in various ways. She goes, if we pray the Lord's Prayer as often as he suggests it, it won't mean anything anymore. Now, this was a great question. She was concerned about just going through the motions, you know, and the Lord's Prayer becoming, you know, not a big deal. And this is specifically what enthusiasm is now. And I, had to, I didn't call her out on it right away because she was a wonderful, wonderful lady. Love her to death. Still correspond with her. She sends me an email every now and then. And, uh, and I simply said, what is the Lord's Prayer? First and foremost, it's Holy Scripture. So if you say that praying the Lord's Prayer too often will make it mean less, then you're saying that the Word of God, <laughs> you tracking? then the Word of God won't always do what God says it will do, <laughs> which is exactly opposite because the Word of God, of course, is like a rock that breaks hammer in pieces. My Word goes forth and will always accomplish the purpose for which I send it. So the Lord's Prayer is always God's Word. So even when you're praying the Lord's Prayer and you're thinking about, um, I don't know, the Super Bowl <laughs> or whatever it is, and you know what this is like in your prayers. None of us here, and this is why the Lord gives us the Holy Spirit, Okay? If you're struggling with prayer, with, with what to pray, with, with how to pray, I would say just go back to the Lord's Prayer okay? and, and, and pray that. Okay? And then secondly, if you're still kind of struggling with that, I would say, yeah, and I know it sounds kind of cheesy, you know, talk to God, okay? open up with him. He is your Father in heaven. He not only invites you to talk with him, he asks you to do that, right? As dear, as, as dear children ask their father, right? So, so if you've got kids, you know exactly how this goes. I want fill in the blank. Kids want something? Oh, yeah, they want a lot, right? <laughs> and they forget that there's only so much money in the checking account. Or not only that, they don't know what's good for them yet. And that's why God gives parents there, okay, to curb those things, to, to give those things as they are able even to receive them and, and handle them. And so, you know, ask your father for those things. Somebody asked me earlier today, is it, is, it, is, it, is it sinful to ask the Lord to have your team win the Super Bowl? <laughs> it was a great question. Really, actually deeply theological in, in this sense, okay? Uh, wow. I mean, does the Lord really care who wins the Super Bowl? I'm not sure that he does. However, there is still vocation involved in various things, right? And you've got all the stadium workers. You've got the people parking cars. You've got the people selling food. You've got the people in the factories making clothes, okay? I would not say that, that sports, uh, and I had this conversation with my boys here this last week, which was a really great question, you know, is uh, um, with all the stuff of, of, of Kobe Bryant, um, and all this stuff going on, is, is professional sports sinful? And I said, no. I said, no more so than any other types of, uh, and i got to be careful here because some of you might throw something at me, arts or otherwise. There's many ways that people are provided for with vocation, with jobs and that sort of thing. Okay? Now, what we value as a society, that's a whole different question, right? You know, we pay our teachers, who I think our school teachers I'm going to say are some of our most important people in society, and they're professionally some of the lowest paid. And that's all I'm going to say. I won't go any further than that. But you look at how we value certain things in our society. Um, but long story short, there's still vocation there. People have to be provided for. So the Lord might care 
about who is granted a win or whatever because that's a way of providing for certain people that benefit in their vocation or that sort of thing, right? Now, we don't know what that is. And we, don't, we trust and we always pray, thy will be done, right? So our job is to bring um, our desires, our prayers, and thanks be to God, he doesn't leave us just with that. He sends the Holy Spirit who intercedes with words and groanings that we can never express, Okay, so let's say that you're off base on your prayer, <laughs> and you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have prayed for that, right? Or maybe that was sinful or selfish, and hey, God's Word will help you understand that. But here's a wonderful gospel promise for you. The Holy Spirit's going to do what? What's he going to do? He's going to intercede for you. So, so he's going he's gonna to take those prayers now, and, and, uh, and, 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 and God is going to receive that which is given, and the Lord will continue to work now uh, for your good as well, okay? So above all else, uh, pray, pray, trust, and believe uh, that the Lord, you know, is at work, okay? Um, okay, any questions on that? I kind of went into the sports thing, maybe a little too much, but it's kind of fitting. Yes, ma'am? Yes, absolutely, Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, when you, when you talk about, you know, you see, <laughs> we see this um, not only in Scripture. Now, what we have to make sure of is that as we talk to God, and I would say, um, I, I mean, <laughs> you'll see me kind of walking around. I think better on my feet. Um, and so when I'm, when I'm prepping and reading, you, you'll see me walking the hallways sometimes here with a book in my hand for some reason, just the way this body is works better. I have a hard time sitting down, you know, then I either fall asleep or I start thinking about something else I'm not supposed to. And um, um, so, question again real quick. I just lost my track. Yeah, yeah, talking to God. Okay, yeah. So, what we have to make sure of, talk to God. I mean, tell him what's up, what's up, you know, and, and you could do this in a conversational way, okay? Um, now, yes, that's not sinful or wrong. What we have to make sure of, though, is we understand how God answers and speaks back to us. That can become enthusiasm as well. In the past, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. So in the past, God directly spoke directly. I mean, he did it with Moses, and he did it with many others. I mean, directly spoke to them, okay? He doesn't directly promise to speak to us now. In these last days, we're told, he has spoken to us through his son, okay? So people that have said, oh, God gave me a vision, okay? Or I remember I was at a circuit meeting 12, 15 years ago, and we were getting ready for the national convention, and there was a pastor that was there, and as we're going around the room getting ready to vote on which pastor was going to represent our circuit as the lay delegate, uh, this uh, pastor said, gentlemen, the Lord spoke to me last night. Oh, really? Really? What did he say? Well, he said that, uh, that, that, that I should be the delegate. <laughs> and that this was an important, I'm, I'm not joking, pastors. Ordained LCMS minister. Yep. Um, and it caught me totally off guard. And I was a little younger then. I think if that happened now, I would have, whew, I would have lost it. Um <laughs> And, uh, you know, and then he, he, he was a very emotional man as well, which didn't help. So then he, he starts crying and, 
And, you know, oh, you know, I've never, I've never gone to convention before, and this is what the Lord wants me to do. And, of course, all the, you know, are like, just let him go to convention. <laughs> but it was such bad theology because the Lord, you know, you've you got to be very careful. So enthusiasm would teach you to see God speaking or see his hand in things where Scripture doesn't reveal. Be careful with that. Be very careful with that, okay? Um, we are not saying that the Lord still does not work and send his angels and even do miracles in that way. But if you start looking for God speaking through a piece of toast that pops out of your toaster with the picture of Jesus on it, okay, or you have some really hot, spicy Indian curry, as I had last week with Professor Pless and a few other people, and it gives you very vivid dreams that night... Those are not necessarily from God. And so that's how we test the spirits. We discern them. How do we do that? We apply them to Scripture, right? Um, and so we always come back simply to, you know, we, we come back to the center of where God is speaking through his word, through his sacraments. And we get a lot of grief for that as conservative Lutherans, okay? Somebody would say we limit the work of the Holy Spirit, and uh, we would say quite the opposite, we want to let the Holy Spirit work through these means, through word and sacraments, okay, which is he will do. So talk to God. Share with him, you know, what you've got, okay? Um, you know, when you're struggling, I mean, pray the Lord's Prayer. Ultimately, it comes down to Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, what did he pray for? Father, take this cup from me. Did he want to suffer as a human? Why? Suffering's painful, all right? I mean, sometimes we, we miss some of the humanity of our Lord and all that he willingly endured, but don't begin to think for a second that because he was also divine that he had some sort of divine antiseptic or, or some, you know, kind of uh, spinal tap that prevented all the pain from enduring the cross. He endured every single bit of it. He felt it in his very body. Um, and so nobody wants to endure that, but he trusted what? What did your Lord trust? What's that? He trusted his Father. He trusted his Father's will, right? So if the Lord will bring you to it, he will always bring you through it, always, some way, shape, or form. That's his, that's his bold, beautiful promise to you, okay? Uh, the, you know, that which, uh, that which you experience, uh, temptation, is common to man, every single person. Okay? You're not alone. And sinners sometimes think, well, I'm the only one that this is happening to, or I'm the only one that has these feelings or these thoughts. You know, <laughs> you're not. Okay? You're in really good company. Look around. This is a room full of poor, miserable sinners. Okay? Um, and, uh, and so that no sin would ever uh, frighten or alarm us in the sense of taking away hope, peace, or comfort. Our Father has sent His Son, who along with the Holy Spirit gives us assurance that when you are tempted, He'll provide a way out that you can stand up under it, always, 1 Corinthians 10, okay? I love that verse. Um, and so all of it, but we must focus it, and, and back to this now, uh, where God promises to be, okay? Uh, okay, so we read Romans 5.20, okay? So why then the false anxiety, back to Marquardt? right? As if the sacrament were like x-rays to be taken rarely in small doses, okay? 
uh, you know, why is it that, well, if we have the same thing with the Lord's Prayer, if we have the sacrament too often, it won't mean anything. Well, who makes the sacrament mean anything? Don't fall into receptionism, and we've talked about that already. Receptionism is, well, the, the body and blood of Jesus is only there if what? If you believe it's there. So now, you, according to the false teaching of receptionism, have the power and ability to make the body and blood of Jesus appear in bread and wine. No, you don't. You don't have that power and authority. God does through his word. And his word makes it there. Now the question is, is the body and blood of Jesus in, with, and <laughs> under? Oh, I just... Marquardt would uh, not like me for saying it that way, um, but uh, they're under the bread and wine. Um, is it what's it there for? Okay, uh, it's there because Christ has commanded it to be. It's there for forgiveness of sins. It's there for the strengthening of my faith, for my body, and for my soul. And if I don't believe that, then what does the glory of God manifested in simple bread and wine become? It becomes, in the words of Dr. Kenneth Corby, glass in my belly, okay, which is, is the whole, that's what Paul's writing, right? So if you fail to recognize the body of Jesus, uh, you eat and drink judgment unto yourself, not damnation. It's actually judgment is the word there, okay, a crino, I believe. Uh, so you eat and drink judgment, which means now that you stand on your own being judged before God instead of having who stand in your place? Jesus. See the difference? Okay. So, so now this, this, this gift doesn't become good for you. And, of course, that's, the, that's why the church lovingly has always practiced closed communion. Because we don't want people to stand on their own in judgment before God. Do you? No. We want the gift to be received with glad and, and joyful faith of recognizing sin and now seeing the, the majesty and the awe of, of, of God who breaks into this world. He's not stuck up in heaven. He comes here for you, to strengthen you in body and soul for all you're going to face. And yeah, you're going to suffer. Most likely, you're going to die. Okay? At the very least, certainly can tell you, even if Jesus returns while any of us are still living, the body you're in now <laughs> is going to be done away with. Okay, um, but that which is sown in dishonor, okay, uh, is now raised with honor. That which is sown perishable is now raised imperishable, right? That which is clothed with, immort or with mortality is now raised with immortality. So it, it's, all, it's all about the resurrection and, the, and, the new, and, and that which is, you know, new and yet to come. I, I read something this last, it was a couple weeks ago. And it was a Christian pastor, not Lutheran, um, who was talking about how uh, some conservative Christians, and he was kind of poking the Missouri Synod bear, um, <laughs> uh, you know, we, we, the talk about, you know, the, how, how, you know, there's going to be, at the end times, this world is going to be done away with, or our body's going to die. And he was, oh, that's just so morbid, you know. Um, and so this focus on the law, you know, we just need to be about the gospel and all this. And, of course, what he's missing completely are the words of Jesus. I've gone to prepare a place for you, right? Now, the word that's, that's normally there, you know, is, is, is kind of mansions, many rooms. Um, and so 
the, the, the process that we don't even see and understand uh, is that all this is going to come to naught. Yes, everything we know, even our bodies, uh, will be gone, destroyed. Why? So that it can be raised, reformed, recreated completely without sin, right? New bodies, new heavens, and new earth, Scripture says. And it doesn't go into more detail than that, okay? But it all has to be recreated. Why? Why do we need new heavens and new earth? It's sinful. It's sinful. Yeah. It's all sinful. Okay? Um, and so he needs to create that now anew. And he promises he will. He promises that he will do that uh, for you and for me. Okay? Back to Marquardt. So um, why then the false anxiety is if the sacrament were like x-rays to be taken rarely in small doses? Rather, and let's read it together. We must never regard the sacraments as a harmful thing from which we should flee, but as a pure, wholesome, soothing medicine which aids and quickens us in both soul and body. For where the soul is healed, the body has benefited also. And that's from Luther's large catechism, part of our confessions. Okay, um, So uh, we look in faith and trust of what God gives. Now, self-examination is not the only weighty matter that arises here. There's also the duty of pastors, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, as stewards of the mysteries of God. Uh, and remember, mysterion in Latin is sacrament, okay? As householders over these mysteries, and therefore also administrators of the sacraments, Christ's under-shepherds are accountable to the good shepherd himself for how and to whom they dispense the sacred things entrusted to their care. They are to see to it that the sheep and lambs of Christ's flock are rightly fed. And let's go to John 21, 15 to 17. And while he gets up there, I'll read a couple more sentences. Responsible self-examination and participation in the Holy Supper are possible only on the basis of proper instruction in the saving truths of God's Word. Okay? Uh, so here we go. John 21, 15 to 17. Let's uh, read this together. I'll try and stand here so you can see it. Everybody see it okay? Okay. Wow, that's way up there. <laughs> here we go. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Okay. Yep, just stop there for a second. Okay, so... This is Jesus now restoring Peter uh, to his uh, vocation, if you will, uh, as a pastor, as a witness, okay, uh, a martyr, a martyr uh, of these things. Peter, you might remember, and we'll hear it here uh, once we roll into the official 40 days of Lent when we read the Passion account. We'll hear Peter, um, hey, you were with that Jesus, right? I recognize you. You're one of his pesky disciples. Oh, yes, you were there. And three times, 
Peter had an opportunity to testify to the truth, right? You can't handle the truth, right? Okay. And, and Peter's a sinner, and he, he sins. He fails in his vocation that he's called to do to testify to Christ. Nope, that wasn't me. Three times he denies Jesus. Peter, the great apostle, okay? <laughs> you know, I mean, w- when you fail at things, especially in, in your faith, <laughs> uh, you need to recognize you stand in good company, okay? I mean, all the apostles, poor, miserable sinners, every single one. Okay, um, sinners, uh, redeemed now by God's grace. And so what Jesus does, he restores Peter, okay? Uh, he forgives him, and he restores him to his vocation of feeding the sheep, of tending the sheep. Jesus, without a doubt, says, hey, <laughs> Peter, I know you're a sinner, okay? But I've got good use for you still, right? So you might feel you're failing as fill-in-the-blank, whatever your vocation is. Okay, maybe it's as a husband, maybe it's as a mother, maybe it's as a, f- a father, a wife, okay, whatever your vocation is. And, and, and to be honest, there's probably days where you're like, people are going to figure out I'm a fraud. I don't know at all what I'm doing. And you start going down this path, I can't believe I've gotten this far, <laughs> right? Yeah. And Jesus comes and says, hey, I've given you this work to do, and you are of great value to me. Not only are you of great value to me and the vocation you have, but I have created good works for you, to, for you to do. So my grace will always be not just for you, but for the benefit of others that are around you. But what the devil and your sinful nature always throws back at you is, I don't matter, or I can't do it, right? And, and that's the sinner in you, and that's where we need, we need the same words, Right? So Jesus restores Peter back to, to his, his pastorate, his apostleship, okay? And, and that's why the divine service is so beautiful as Jesus comes to you and, and, and forgives you and now strengthens you with his gifts for whatever your vocation is, for that which he has given you to do, right? If, you, if you've been able to be with us on Wednesdays as we pray the catechism, the part that I've been thinking about the last few weeks is, you know, we, you know, the, the question, you know, are you a mother? Are you a father? Are you a son? Are you a daughter? Are you a wife? Are you a worker? Luther goes through this, this whole list of vocations, you know, and, and, and if you can't find something in there, then you, you're not a human. <laughs> but God has given each of us something to do, right? My boys were talking this last week, oh, you know, we don't, I'm not, you know, trying to figure out what they want to be when they grow up and when they have a job. And I said, you got job, you have a job now. Well, no, we don't. I don't get a paycheck like you get. I said, your job is to be a student. You have a full-time job right now. Your job is to do that which your teachers ask you to do. Uh, That's your primary vocation right now is a student, right? And we need to talk this way, I mean, with, 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 with our children, with our youth, okay? And down the road, they'll have different vocations, okay? Um, that's hard to think about. My son's actually being husbands and fathers. I'm not sure I'm ready for that. <laughs> but the Lord will provide, okay? And, and he'll provide for you as well, okay? Questions or comments there? So, 
Pastors must satisfy themselves since their vocation now is to care for the sheep. This is their, their, their now public duty, and they do that uh, privately as well. That those who ask for admission to the Lord's table know what they are doing there. Neither pastors nor people may trifle with the holy body and blood of Christ by irresponsibility in either distribution or reception. So illustrations from daily life abound. Suppose on a dark and stormy night one came upon barricades with signs, Stop! Bridge out ahead! Would one grumble resentfully? Fascist country! Can't even drive where one pleases anymore. (laughs) I love Marquardt. Of course not. Or if no barriers had been put up, would one last thoughts be, while plunging towards the raging river, what glorious liberty, even this is allowed. (laughs) So if it is possible to incur judgment by desecrating the Lord's body and blood in the sacrament, then carefully supervised access to his table becomes a necessary service of love. Of course, if the Lord's Supper consisted of nothing but bread and wine, it would not matter much who did what with it, right? So we went many years ago. I can't remember. Oh, Gina, was it was it baptism for Cam or Jack at your your sister uh, sister's church? And so we were there, and they still practiced infant baptism, which was interesting. It was more of kind of a dedication, but they still used the words. I baptize you in the name of the Father. So I was like, hey, I think I was a seminarian at the time. Yeah. Uh, okay, so they're baptized, but they don't really understand what's going on. And so we were there for the service, which uh, was a headbanging experience. But they, they got to the Lord's Supper, and I'm not sure if they really used all the words of institution. Um, but then they just started to pass down every row of chairs, you know. Uh, I think they had a basket of wafers, and they had uh, individual cups of grape juice, right? And they're just passing them out down. And maybe you've seen this before, okay? Um, I I think I saw something. Trader's Point now is handing it to you on the way out the door after you leave because they don't want it to take up too much time during the service. So you get a little sealed package of uh, of bread and wine. (laughs) Don't get me started. But, I mean, just just think think about this based on what we're studying, not just based based on the word of the Lord, right? Uh, And, of course... Uh, for um, this church, unfortunately, uh, where sister-in-law and husband were at, they denied the real presence. So, so passing out simple bread and grape juice to them wasn't a big deal because it wasn't really what? The body and blood of Jesus. Now, the sad part was, if the words of Christ now are there, and this is an interesting debate, okay, then it's possible the Lord's body and blood is there, even though they don't believe it, but then what happens? It's not to their benefit, right? And that's kind of an interesting comment. Walther spends a lot of time talking about, you know, who has the sacrament and who doesn't it. And sometimes as pastors and academics, you know, we, we, we get into that. And, and for me, I take a very simple stance at it. You know, the, the, the Word of God uh, is there and, and does its work, uh, and it's either for your benefit or not. Um, of course, faith needs to be there as well, so that gets to be. But regardless, it's not something you want to play around with, right? I mean, you're gonna, you know, you you you've got a five-year-old in the house, and and he or she has a couple of friends over, and you know, do you do you unlock your liquor cabinet and say, you know, if you want to take a few sips, go ahead. You know, and they may or may not like it, or they might. Right. I mean, so. 
You know, I, I remember my dad, for all of our kids, I think when they turned five, got them their first pocket knife. I don't even know what happened to those. Oh, yeah, she did not. She did not like this at all. Yeah. And so in my dad's family, German Missouri family, having a pocket knife was a big deal, having something sharp. And my dad's always carried a pocket knife in his pocket, right? Not just to clean his fingernails, but it's really handy when you're opening gifts. You don't have to go find the scissors that's always missing from the butcher block or that's not in the drawer, um, you know. But uh, it's a sharp object. <laughs> and so moms and others might freak out. How old is, you know, should you have a sharp object and deal with it? So... Uh, I think you get where I'm going with that. Any any comments here before we get back to Mark Clark? Okay. Um, so if it is possible to incur judgment by desecrating the Lord's body and blood in the sacrament, then carefully supervised access to his table becomes a necessary service of love, right? We want to make sure that, that people can handle sharp objects. Of course, if the Lord's Supper consists of nothing but bread and wine, it would not matter much who did what with them. Now, in light of all this, the custom of confirmation makes very good sense. Now, confirmation is not a sacrament. It was not instituted by God. Confirmation is a church custom marking the end of a period of instruction that prepares a person for dealing with a sharp-edged blade or for responsible participation in the Holy Supper of the Lord. It has no independent weight, whatever, beside baptism and the sacrament of the altar. Everything was given already in baptism. And to that, confirmation adds nothing. Okay, um, And so this has become a little bit of an issue even in the Missouri Synod where whatever Confirmation Sunday is, it's given its own liturgical color. It becomes red, and there's pictures and symbols of the Holy Ghost everywhere, right? As if now there's an extra gift of the Holy Spirit that is being given when you take your Confirmation vows, right? Uh, and be careful of that. I'm not saying that every person believes that, but it's, you know, we got to be careful with some of the connections. What's the importance? And that's what Marquardt is getting at here, okay? So thinking that it can add something to steer into, quote, a second blessing theology, and this is where Methodism goes and Pentecostalism, which still practice confirmation various ways, and this is why, why Luther hated confirmation. I'm going to be very clear on that. Luther did not like the church's process of confirmation. He was concerned that it would take away from the most important thing, which was simple faith that receives the Lord's gifts and simple faith that has been catechized to receive those gifts, okay? Or in other words, being taught how to handle a sharp-edged object, okay? So such a misconception is why the Reformation at first rejected confirmation, which the medieval church had listed among its seven sacraments and still is today in the Roman church. Okay, confirmation um, is, is still technically a sacrament, um, and uh, they had a little bit of uh, a revival uh, here. It's very interesting uh, resources uh, that I've, I've been studying the last couple of years, um, and uh, confirmation, you know, ideally they would like to see it about 17 or 18 years of age, okay? So, so first communion in the Roman church, uh, you know, 9, 10 years of age, and then confirmation, uh, you know, after that. Um, and uh, yeah, kind of interesting, um, but later confirmation came to be accepted without superstition, not as a sacrament, but simply as an opportunity to provide the basic instruction of the one faith, and that's what we've maintained as Missouri Synod, okay? Uh, that's needed for responsible self-examination at communion, okay? 
So Walther's teaching of this, and at our heart and core, ooh, it's 10.30 already. Really? Well, that means the Super Bowl is closer than I thought, so. <laughs> Let me finish this paragraph. See where, my mind's like yours. I'm a sinner too, okay? Um, but, uh, so the basic instruction in First Communion took place at a relatively early age, between 6 and 12, year, 12 years, according to one authority, okay? So our basic understanding of confirmation, important why? Teaching, also public confession of the faith, which even still we do. So some of you as new members, when you joined here, you know, we dragged you up to the front, okay? Um, and uh, you either take your confirmation vows for the first time, or what I like to do, it's an opportunity for you to renew those vows, right? And you're simply saying, we believe as you do, okay? We stand with the body of Christ here at Advent, uh, and uh, this is not only where we want to be members, but uh, th this is our faith and that sort of thing. And those are good God-pleasing things, okay? Um, so we'll talk a little bit more next week. He'll get into some more detail, and we'll talk a little bit. We've already talked a little bit about confirmation. We've talked about First Communion um, and what that means, and uh, we're, we'll still unpack some of those things. Okay, anything that you absolutely have to have answered before we dismiss? Okay, enjoy the rest of the day. The sunshine is glorious, and that's all I'm going to say about the rest of the day. May the Lord bless and keep you. Let's stand and close with the Lord's Prayer, his holy word given to us. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.